Hey everybody, it's Brian. Thanks for tuning in. If you're ready to buy or sell a home in Pierce, South King, or Snohomish County, please check out John Hurlbutt and his team over at Altitude Homes. John's an old friend and someone I know you can trust. He will also donate $500 to Ben's Fund for every closed transaction. I know how hard it is to find a real estate agent who has your best interests in mind. John can be that guy for you and benefit a great cause to boot. Check them out on the web at altitude-re.com slash hb. Again, altitude-re.com slash hb. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. That's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks! Everybody, it's Brian Emhauser, uh, and we got the Hawk Blogger crew together again for a new edition of Real Hawk Talk. Uh, we had a big game last week, uh, preseason game. They're all big uh, against the Colts, and uh, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, who's going to make the final 53. Uh, I think a few of us have some predictions uh, ready to talk about there. We'll see where we're aligned and where we're different. Um, and then we'll look ahead a little bit to the Chargers game. So we got a lot of good stuff um, going on here. And we'll probably also be talking a little bit about the Mariners as uh, hopefully uh, they win this game tonight. Um, that's that's a side thing. So hopefully I will spend most of the time on the Seahawks. I know Jeff will uh, will not be thrilled to talk much about uh, the Mariners. So um, with us, as always, we've got Evan Hill. Welcome, Evan. Thank you. Glad to be back. Glad to have you back and uh, hear that that you had a uh, pretty scary incident with your dog today. Hope that uh, Frodo's doing uh, a little bit better. Yeah, he's he has a he has like one of my shirts around him on his backside right now, so he's walking around the house. He looks like a grandma doggy nightgown style. It's, it's pretty cute. Yeah, yeah, he got he got a little bit of a attacked in the um, the park, dude. So uh, you got to take care of your kids, man. Yeah, he's my son. Yeah. Uh, Nathan Ernst, uh, thank you for uh, joining us. Glad to have you. And and are you wearing a polo shirt? Kind of. You kind I mean, you are, dude. You absolutely are wearing a polo shirt. <laughs> uh, was that but it's, it's, uh, No, I I do have a bunch of polo shirts, but I don't wear them during games. <laughs> I wear my jersey during the game. I am. Uh, I will say I am actively taking recommendations on uh, a New Jersey. I've got a Sherm. I want to have a current player, uh, current Seahawks. So if anyone has, uh, if anyone can sway me right now, I'm, I'm leaning pretty hard towards Doug, but uh, I could probably be swayed. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have some thoughts on that one, uh, and then. And then uh, our our intrepid co-host up there in Toronto, um, staying up late with us as always, is Jeff Simmons. How you doing, dude? Good, man. Uh, I don't know if I'd get a Doug jersey. Yeah, want, yeah, because think... I'm gonna get a new one because I want like a current player, and I'm a little nervous about like how long is Doug gonna be around? Am I gonna be doing this again in a little bit? Well, hold up. So they just restructured Doug's contract a little bit ago to fit. Was it Dwayne Brown in? I, I don't remember who it was. They shifted was money Dwayne. around. Uh, yeah. 
I, I, I just bring that point up just because it uh, guarantees his roster security um, even more so. All right, all right. I don't think they're gonna. I don't think the Seahawks are gonna get rid of Doug Baldwin, but I could absolutely see Doug Baldwin deciding to ride off into the sunset earlier than than maybe people are expecting. Like retire or go to a different yeah. team. Wow. I could see him retire. Okay, because I, I was talking to a friend about this, and I love Sherm. I have a Sherm jersey. Uh, I totally saw this ending this way with him. Like he was absolutely going to go play somewhere else. Like there was going to be this inflection point where Sherm thinks he's the greatest and for a lot of good reasons. And the team is going to get up against the cap situation and he'd be somewhere else. And that it ended up being the Niners is not even like, it's less surprising right? because of course Sherm wants to go and stick it to the Seahawks. Doug though, Doug in a different Jersey, Doug in like a Titans Jersey. Hey. Like that oh. would, that would kill me. I, I couldn't really do that. So it's good to hear that you're talking more like he may retire sooner than later than like he's going to try to like go off and go play somewhere else or something like that. Cause that, that would suck from both a Doug perspective and also that the team, you know, wouldn't be able to take care of him. So I don't get that impression at all. Like, I mean, he, he really is, you know, the person he reminds me of the most, or like I, I actually tried to facilitate these two people getting to know each other is uh, Damian Lillard. Um, uh, and I don't know how much you guys follow. I know, Nathan, you follow basketball. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, Damian Lillard's really well known in Portland for being pretty outspoken about wanting to stay in Portland and build a championship team there. You know, he's one of the best players in the league. And, you know, the trendy thing to do is to go join up to a, a super team somewhere else and, and you know, build it that way. And um, he's been pretty committed to staying put. I think Doug's the same way. I mean, he's obviously already won the championship here, but... I think he's he's tied to Seattle. He wants to live here. He, you know, I really see him invested in the franchise and in the city. So I'd be surprised if he pushes to get out. Um, maybe something changes if the team all of a sudden is like two and fourteen, and Pete gets fired and some, co- you know, Jim Harbaugh gets hired. I don't know. <laughs> maybe something changes there, but uh, that's kind of my read of it. Interesting. All right. Well, that just sways me towards Doug even more. So, yeah, just a little bit on the numbers. So, if they wanted to cut him in 2019, it's a 6.3 mil dead money cap hit. So, that's not going to happen. So, he's for sure a Seahawk through 2019 minimum, barring, you know, retirement. Right. I, I promised Jeff Simmons that I was going to have let him like run the show tonight because I'm too schizophrenic with my uh, <laughs> topics. But I really do need to know, like, from from Jeff and from Evan, your top two uh, jersey recommendations for Nathan. Ooh, Rashad Penny. No, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> no running back. Need some company, dude. Yeah, it'd be so funny for Nathan to be wearing a running like running back jersey. This is a really tough question because I, I think I think of like likability factor and then I, I'm thinking of like long-term security on the Seahawks factor. And also like I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a little bit of a hipster, I guess. Like I can't do Russ. I love Russ. I want to be a Seahawk forever. He's great. I just can't do – like everybody's got it. Like Russell Wilson, like I don't know. It's a little too – Oh, you know who's a good one? Uh, Shaq Thompson. Shaquille Thompson. Uh, I wanted the Seahawks jersey, though. You want Shaquille Griffin? Oh, Shaquille Griffin. <laughs> Why did I give up that? 
Who am I thinking? Uh, Jack oh, I Thompson. Think oh, I think he's a <laughs> If I'm going to get a Panthers jersey, well, I probably wouldn't get a cam anymore. I, yeah. You know yeah, who I get? Would be a good Evan, one. Do you know if I was going to get a Panthers jersey, do you know who, what, what Panther I would get? Christian McCaffrey? No, DJ Moore. Oh, God. <laughs> Right. Well, there's one. It's hard. This is hard. It's okay. a really big decision. No, I'm glad you brought up hipster because I, I think that's a huge part of it. And I, I the reason I didn't cut Brian off because I actually think this is a great discussion. Back when I was writing for like a major website, I wanted to write an article about like what it goes into buying a jersey because most people will buy the quarterback or like the guy everyone wants. I think there has to be two factors. I think you want one that maybe no one else doesn't have. And two is longevity. I think you want one who's going to be around for a while. That's why I kind of swayed away from Doug, not for the fact that his contract might burn out, just because he's he's not going to be around as long as maybe a young guy. I think right now, probably the best Seahawks jersey, probably Shaquem Griffin. But that, again, that's a jersey that probably everyone's going to have. Yeah, I, I would have no hesitation to get a, uh, a, Sha- a Shaquem Griffin one. I'm thinking maybe choice B would be a Poppy Wagner. Still a very popular player, but still an underrated player, and I think he's got that longevity. So, Bobby, uh, Doug, Shaquem. You are clearly missing the the comedy factor in your choice. I'm not getting a Michael Dixon. Michael Dixon would be perfect on you. No No running backs and no punters. I I don't want any part of, like, death to offenses. So no running backs, no punters. Janikowski, like, you know – Blouse. Like, Ooh, I, I know which with jersey. the shorts, the, night, the nightgown. I know which jersey you should get, Nathan. You love strong contributors at the tight end position, and we finally have one. His name is Will Disley. Why don't you get his jersey? Uh, if I'm gonna get a tight end jersey, I'm gonna get one that catches touchdowns, and so that would probably be Nick Vanette. <laughs> so I'm looking on I'm looking on the chat here at some of the recommendations coming in. Um, uh, <laughs> Earl Thomas. Oh, no. <laughs> I bought that in 2012. Uh, Chris Carson, which you know I think is a great choice for anyone but a anti-run uh, analytic. It's um, true. Uh, Shaquille. Uh, that's a Shaquille, not a Shaquem. Yeah. Um, Bobby Wagner. We heard that. Frank Clark. I mean that that's a pretty solid uh, recommendation. <laughs> you got to shake a head now. Uh, there's a CJ Procise. That is a very risky. Uh, That's probably the, that breaks every rule. We'll get into that. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I used to make my jersey recommend my jersey choices based on trying to pick guys that I kind of like Jeff was saying that nobody else had. They were on the rise and young. And what that got me is I first bought my first jersey I ever bought was an Amon Green jersey, a Seahawks Amon Green jersey. Not bad. Um, yeah. I picked the right player. He didn't end up doing it for Seattle, so that, that kind of didn't work out. And then I picked a Corin Robinson jersey. Um, and from there on, I was like, mm, I don't know if, if I'm really going to keep going for the new young guys. But if I was, we'll talk about this a little bit later, but Rasheem Green, if you really want to be on the up and coming, um, that guy could be a really interesting one. I get, I'm guessing no one's going to have him. And you'd have the bonus of having a Seahawks green jersey that is not a Jacob green jersey. And uh, there'd be a little bit of a conversation starter to have there. 
All right, Jeff, I've done my damage. Take us take us through this uh, this evening. What are we going to talk about? All right, firstly, I just want to thank everyone who joined us for the uh, live show, even though I didn't come on until halftime. Uh, <laughs> I, I had an emergency situation. But, uh, yeah, that was, that was a fun thing, and it was, it was fun to break down the game, especially the three of you who were there for the whole game. That must have been – that was pretty cool. And we're still playing around with how we want to do that going forward. But, again, that was that was a lot of fun. For, for me for half of it. But, yeah, I, I, the cool thing about preseason for me is every you can watch the game and everyone takes away something completely different or people looking for completely different things. Like, some people get all worked up about wins and losses. For me, I couldn't care less about that. Um, the two teams that have gone winless in NFL history in the modern era, 0-16, both won 4-0 in preseason. <laughs> so I don't really care about the results. I care about a couple things. I care about how the starters look. To me, last week we talked about how did the offensive line look, and the big thing to me always is how do the rookies look. And to me, the Seahawks came out of that game, although the, there's a lot of issues with the opponent, but we'll save that for another day. Um, I think they came out pretty good on those three categories. And to me, the biggest thing out of that game was the rookie class. And maybe the first pick didn't look great, but top to bottom – Seahawks haven't had – we've talked about this so many times in the last year or two, how the drafting just has faded since 2012, really. And it's it was so refreshing to kind of see top to bottom a class that seems like the one that the Pete Carroll and John had at the beginning of this program. And, man, that, that was my big takeaway from the game. So we'll start with you, Brian. What did you make out of that game? I know we talked for three hours about this, but yeah. looking back, what what really stood out? Yeah, I think you hit it. Um, the the rookie class, especially, it was interesting. Like, there's an art to watching preseason football. There is like knowing what to pay attention to and what to ignore is is hard. And I don't claim to have <laughs> mastered it at all. Uh, I get excited about guys I shouldn't, and get you know disappointed in things that I I maybe shouldn't as well. Um, and a good example of that, I mean, you mentioned Rashad Penny, um, you know, as one of the guys who maybe was a little disappointing that night. We were talking about that a lot. I'm still being very honest, and people on Twitter think I'm, like, anti-Rashad Penny. It's just not the case. I still haven't seen him – I haven't seen him do things that make me believe he's special yet, like, and worthy of the draft value that they – the capital that they spent on him. But, you know, there's some good points about the missed tackles that, that he created, um, you know, and some of the opportunities he had. Um, I think he led the, the team and, and Mr., you know, um, created missed tackles or broken tackles in that game. Um, so that, you know, I think that that's a reason to be hopefully optimistic that, that you know, given more opportunities, he'll, he'll do better. Um, but it's hard not to talk about Rasheem Green. I mean, I think – you know, Nathan did a great article on him, um, breaking down some of the the video and, and his plays. And he's young and don't want to. The competition they were playing against in Indianapolis is uh, a big caveat to all this. But he was winning not with just like blazing speed on the the edge, but he was winning with his hands and keeping the offensive lineman's hands off of him. And that's a lot. I found that to be a lot more rare with rookie lineman than just pure physical get off and, and burst. So um, the fact that he's got some of those mechanics and he's powerful um, and he was productive against both the run and the pass, um, 
you know, I thought that was really encouraging. Um, so that was probably the biggest one for me. Um, I also just, I'm psyched about Chris Carson. I really, I really see big things for that guy this year. I think he is, he is head and shoulders, I think above, even if Rashad Penny turns out to be a good player, I think Chris Carson is potentially a great player. Evan, how about you? Uh, there were really two players that stood out to me. Number one was Will Disley. I think he was incredibly impressive in, um, you know, he's not he's not super flashy. He's not going to catch like 60-yard touchdown bombs, and he's probably not going to, you know, put up 10 touchdowns a season like a Jimmy Graham type could, but he's going to contribute in the running game. And, you know, I pulled up some snapshots from the game uh, on Thursday where – you know, Ifedi was really messing up, and re- that Disley really bailed him out a couple of times. And you know, I was just really impressed with his blocking abilities. So it was awesome to see him contribute in the run and passing game. Um, the other player that su- flew super under the radar was Akeem King. I don't know if any of you noticed him. I know he was Hello. going against um, like second and third stringers for a little bit, um, but I was really focused on his technique and. He was really tight in coverage. There were there were several throws um, in the end zone where he, you know, had perfect coverage on, and maybe even had a chance at an interception if he had turned around his hips or turned around his eyes. and And uh, he might be a corner to watch. Actually, that might be up and coming in that group. Um, outside of those two, Shaquem Griffin, um, you know, I think he led the game in tackles. Actually, um, Griffin Griffin was just kind of everywhere he needed to be. But there were a couple plays where. I think he took some poor angles, and and I think he'll rectify those issues. But I think to answer your question, Will Disley, Keem King, and Shaquem Griffin really stood out to me. Yeah, that's that's another two. That's two rookies you mentioned. That's Brian mentioned Rasheem Green. None of us have talked about Michael Dixon. Jacob Martin looked pretty good. That's a pretty good group, top to bottom. We were saving Dixon for Nathan because I yeah he was going to talk about him. Yeah, well, we'll let Nathan jump in here. Uh, I was not going to mention uh, Dixon, <laughs> although in fairness, he did good. Uh, no, I, uh, you guys took all the easy ones. Um, uh, Quentin Jefferson um, was another guy who had a, a big game. Um, it, he's he's a guy that's like uh, not quite as bad as like a Deion Jordan or, or or someone like that, but he needs to stay healthy. But he looked really good out there um it's interesting that you know in this path rush did have some issues um especially early on um but the colts were also focusing on you know getting luck into a rhythm and he was getting the ball out quick and all that um but it's interesting that a lot of these defensive linemen kind of popped like jacob martin quentin jefferson Rasheen green um after path rush being a, a big problem in camp so it'll be interesting to see how that kind of shakes out and what that means when the regular season rolls around. Um, <clears throat> another guy, but in the opposite direction, um, Risu Diombo had some awful, awful moments um, playing at left guard. Um, looked really bad. Um, I know we're going to, I think, talk about the roster a little bit later, and he's a guy that I'm starting to wonder if he if he makes this team. That's, I think that's totally fair. And, and um, you know... Another guy that, that we should mention that was playing really well from this rookie class um, was Jamarco Jones. Uh, I'm curious how big of a deal you know you guys think 
that injury is. Assuming it's not a break, what we have, the latest we know is it's not a break. But Pete Carroll described it in the press conference as, uh, you know, ankle sprain, a really legit ankle, high ankle sprain, um, you know, and, and Pete parlance that seems to indicate he's going to be out a while. Um, so, Evan, I know that was a big deal. What's, what's, your, what's your take there? I'll be honest. I don't think people are freaking out enough. <laughs> I, I'm freaking out. I, I, I viewed him as a big insurance policy if Dwayne Brown went down or maybe if he even beat out Jermaine Ifedi for that right tackle spot. You know, Ifedi is compete was competing with Battle, and it looked to be Jamarco Jones at that right tackle spot. And both of those guys went down. It looks like Battle might end up being okay. It looks like, um, but we really don't have a time frame from Pete on Jamarco Jones yet. So I, I don't know if a really bad ankle sprain means eight weeks away. I don't know if it means out for season. I'm not really sure, but. Uh, it's really concerning to me from a depth perspective because if Dwayne Brown goes down, um, who's your left tackle? I, I'd actually feel sort I would feel sort of confident with Jamarco Jones being put at left tackle. I'd, I'd be I'd be optimistic about it, but um, with with that injury, I guess the ha- glass half full perspective is at least he's not counted out for the season yet. But the whole situation just sucks. Yeah, and. The one rookie none of us have talked about yet is Trey Flowers. And he, he had a pretty impactful part of the game. He started a cornerback. Byron Maxwell's not is down right now. Dante Johnson's coming back from an injury. Trey Flowers, is, if he's not in position to start, he's in position to play a lot this year. So, Brian, what did you make of his first start? Did you see enough to get excited? Or is there a lot that you're still worried about? Um. For me, the, there's the, there's a steady, the the pot's not boiling yet on Trey Flowers for me. Like it's it's a it's a roll, you know. It's it's warming up. I, I think he he's done a nice job of staying on top of um, the receivers so far. I from what I've seen in camp, I had I you know to me he is not a natural. Like I'm hearing a lot of things from Ken Norton Jr. Um, and Pete being very effusive in their praise of him, which is great. They're clearly giving him opportunity um, high up in the depth chart. I think that's a good indication. It's just not as obvious to me yet. So that that's my view. Like I, I think he's a guy that I'm like excited that it looks like, unlike you know a Mike Tyson or an Eric Pinkins that they took as safeties that they converted to cornerbacks, and it just clearly like it just wasn't working. Flowers looks like it could work. So that's I think a really encouraging sign. That's a that's like a huge step. There's another step beyond that that I feel like a lot of people are talking about him as, you know, our next great corner and he's going to be a starter right away. I think we're in trouble if he's starting right away um, this season. I, I think, uh, you know, there's reason that, that they're going to need a Byron Maxwell or the guy that I'm really hoping plays this weekend and, and shows something is Dante Johnson, uh, the guy who started all last year for the 49ers and, and we have not yet seen play for the Seahawks and Johnson got snaps at right cornerback this week in practice I, I agree I'd like to see him there were rumors about Cromartie having a workout with Seattle last week he told Josina Anderson that it went really well but since then it's hasn't been much so it seems like Flowers Maxwell Johnson those are the guys you're looking at in the right cornerback battle Nico Thorpe's still down Akeem King look did look good but I don't see him getting into that mix quite yet so yeah, Flowers is a guy. 
you got to watch real closely, and we'll get into the Chargers game a little bit later. But sticking this Colts game, Nathan, you dug into the film. I want to know your thoughts on the offensive line. They didn't play the starting offensive line didn't play very much, but are you encouraged at all, or did you see anything that really jumped out to you, or was it just them overmauling or overmatched against a pretty much a terrible defense? Yeah, I mean. Like I said, I, I saw Odiombo looked really bad. He was one of the few guys I really like zoomed in on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you had uh, Roos had um, a couple bad moments, um, but it, it wasn't impressive. Um, I mean, Jones played okay, Fan played okay, um, but you know, this is a team that's going to have one of the worst defenses in the league, and you know they didn't show off in, in, in any way. So um, I think overall, like some bad moments, some bad plays, um, but just kind of worrisome that like they weren't able to, they weren't able to put something better together against that team. And what about, what about you, Evan? You're Mike Solari's biggest fan in Seattle. So. I mean, I'm sick of the negativity, man. I, I, Okay. So all these people, when we start talking about positive things with the Seahawks during preseason games, people are like, uh, it's preseason and they're playing the Colts. Well, would, have, would, would you have rather them play poorly? Like, would you have rather them not score a touchdown on the first try? Would you have rather them look like a Tom Cable offensive line? Would you rather have them not give Russell Wilson a tarmac in pass protection? Like, what do you want? Like, the offensive line looked great. They looked in sync. That's what you want. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm optimistic about it. Yeah, I think great is a, a pretty big stretch. I don't know that they looked great at any real point. The, the starters looked okay. The starters didn't look bad. They didn't look overwhelmed. They were able to get some stuff going um, pass protection-wise. You know, Carson looked good. So, in terms of the starters, like, there's no complaints there. But if you're starting to look beyond that and you're looking at the depth, then it got pretty shaky. Pretty oh, no, fast. totally. And I, I want to yeah. clarify that. I completely agree with you. Yeah. I think the depth thing is an issue, like a big issue, especially with the injuries that came out of that game. But I think uh, I think the starters looked really good. I really do. It was yeah. cool to see those the screenshots of those pockets. Evan was tweeting some of those out. And, and I think, you know, I, I will, I will agree with Nathan on two parts. One, like I, I, I did not think the backup line looked very good. Number two or number three, I thought they looked pretty poor. I thought that for me, it was one of the takeaways is that the depth on the offensive line is looks pretty scary to me, um, especially with Jones being out. I think Jones is a guy that was really rocketing up the charts. I think that's a huge injury. And we'll talk about when we get into the 53-man roster piece, I think it's going to be pivotal to how they form their roster. I got my fingers crossed that they're going to figure out a way to bring him back this year, but there's a chance that they won't. Um, but the starting line, yeah, they, I, I would be hard-pressed to say that that line didn't look significantly better than, you know, at any time last year during the regular season for whatever that's worth, um, you know, and there were some encouraging signs there. It was one series. So, yeah. uh, you know, okay to say they did their jobs. Uh, there's no massive breakdowns and let's see more of that consistently the guy the guy generating a lot of buzz out of the, the, the seahawks organization i john klein's been talking about him all week on radio is dj fluker sweezy 
Sweezy was a guy that we all thought maybe could get into this competition. He's having trouble practicing right now. He's banged up. I didn't obviously one series. You're not going to see much at a fluker, but it was kind of cool seeing him get out to the second level and some of those blocks. And the big thing with him is going to be pass protection. But he he looked he looked interesting. He's a he's a player that's going to be uh, probably a lightning rod all year because he's probably going to whiff on pass pro and. You're going to see him make some mauling blocks in the run game, but it was kind of cool seeing him just get out there and create some of those holes for Carson. And then there was that fourth and one. He ran right behind him. So that that was pretty encouraging to me because we all know Dwayne Brown's probably going to hold up well. Britt will probably hold up well. We're all crossing our fingers on a Fetty, especially now that Jones and Battle are down. But that, that fluker stood out to me, even though it was just one series. What about Fant? I mean, I. There's one play that stood out in my mind on Fan. I'm curious, Nathan, if or, or Evan, if you guys looked more at it um, uh, afterwards. But there was a play where I mean, he was playing left tackle, and the guy beat him off the snap and was coming around the edge, had a step on him, and Fant was able to. His arms are so long, and he was able to, you know, just extend his arms, recover, and basically harmlessly push the guy uh, around the pocket, and he wasn't able to make a play. That was that was impressive to me because he was beaten on one hand um, and was able to recover uh, just based on natural physical ability, uh, the length of his arms and, and those pieces that you can't really coach necessarily. Um, I didn't see as much other things. And in fact, I think I saw at least one other play where he didn't look so good. But I'm curious if you guys saw more of him or what you thought about his play. Yeah, I don't know if I saw that play exactly, but I there was at least one play where I, I had a similar thought where it was just like, boy, he's long as hell. Like, and that counts for a lot. Right. Um, overall, I, I didn't think that fan really stood out too much one way or the other, but he did look solid. I mean, he's coming back from that injury. So um, tackle depth is always nice, but to me, he didn't really jump out one way or the other. I, I should say uh, I spent a lot more time, the offensive line is not one of the things I actually really dug into a whole lot this time around. I looked at like uh, Reese. I went and watched him a little bit, a couple of other guys, but uh, overall um, spent more time looking at different, different parts of the team. Did you guys hear the, the comment um, Chris Carson made in the post game show? I can't remember who was interviewing him, but asked someone asked him about what it was like to, to run, um, you know, behind this line and is it different? And, he said, um, I don't want to make too much out of it, but he, he said that there were, it was nice running behind, they talk about the Solari scheme, that there were multiple holes to choose from. And it wasn't, I don't think it was, the impression I got was not that he was saying, hey, the guys are blocking and creating more holes, but that there was more choice for the running back in terms of where they were to go, as opposed to maybe with Cable, there's a lot more pressing, 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 and waiting for the specific gap that was designed to be there um, to, to trust and to, to go with it. Um, I'm curious if, if we're going to see a little bit of uh, difference there in terms of you know how the running backs are, are, are playing behind the line, behind the scheme. I mean, that's interesting because in zone blocking, you have options, right? You can either bounce it, you can hit it where you're supposed to hit it, or you can um, cut it back in. Um, so it's weird that it, who knows what Cable was te- coaching these guys, right? Like, I mean, <laughs> uh, so maybe you know, maybe 
Cable was really particular about what you did and didn't want you taking some of those options. But like, I don't feel like that should be the case that, you know, in zone blocking, you should have those opportunities. And so it's probably just a question about emphasis that Cable put on these guys. And one of the knocks on Cable from players who had played for him and guys who had dug into film is that it was really easy for the defense to know what they were doing schematically. And I wonder if that impacted just how the amount of holes are on the field because they can read the play based on the formation. Almost, I remember Warren Sapp was going, when him and uh, Cable were together in Oakland, that was a big issue for them because he said in practice they knew what they were doing every single time, and that was all scheme-related. This is when Evan takes a moment and just feels, says thanks, gives thanks for uh, the lack of Tom Cable. It's just amazing. It's just amazing. Tom Cable is not here to ruin our lives anymore. And and every day I celebrate that fact. Every day I toast to that fact. I'm ecstatic. Do you do you, do you guys see Chris Warren and uh, uh, Marshawn in that last game, though? They looked pretty good running the ball. I believe the 60-yard touchdown was a holding penalty, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken. So that's probably a Cable fundamental technique issue that, that needs to be addressed there. I mean, didn't we see these guys come out and look better in the preseason like every year? Like, I know there was a year that we got excited for George Fant, and last year it was like, oh, are they finally going to have the a decent offensive line, right? Like, I mean, this is a Tom Cable special too that, you know, they come out and they, they look good in the preseason, and then when teams actually start to game plan for you, maybe things get a little different. Yes and no. The, the big thing watching the first preseason game every year is they look disastrous on the offensive line. Like, there was a couple of years ago against Denver. They, were, they looked as bad as I've ever seen an offensive line look. And every year we're just hoping for like a semblance of functionality. Even just when talking about this 53-man thing, I looked at last year's opening day line. You had Riso Diombo at left tackle, Luke Jokel at left guard, Afedi at right tackle, Ode Abushi at right guard. That is a bad, bad group. That's four backups, probably. So at least this year they've upgraded to potentially two to three actual NFL starters. So I guess that's pretty good progress. Yeah. I was kind of curious. I don't know um, if you guys had a chance to look at the article I wrote comparing the position groups from this year to last year. And like who actually got um, got snaps? But yeah, I mean, that, it reminds me of that, Jeff. When I was looking at the offensive line, um, you know, Luke Jokel. I mean, guy's not in the league. Um, how is that though? Like, I know he's bad and all, but like Jamarcus Webb's in the league. How is Jokel not in the league? I, I have a take on Luke Jokel. I think we should re- I think we should re-sign him for depth purposes. At minimum. At bet minimum. I I mean, come on. What's it's a camp body. What what Brian, you look so <laughs> Oh, I'm so bothered by that. I mean, we paid him for three years worth of service. He should come back and play for free, if anything. He should pay us probably. For making us watch him. No, they didn't pay him three years. He got a one year deal, right? One year No, he's he's saying like we paid him three worse like three years worth. Seven million dollars or seven right. and a half or whatever. Eight, eight, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he he was like 
that was like playing Ferrari prices for, you know, a Yugo. <laughs> it, 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 I mean, it was really unfortunate. I, I don't know. I, I'm not a. I'm not interested in bringing a veteran, low upside um, guy that's going to block any potential of improvement and has injury issues. And uh, not interested. Not interested. I, you know, I, I, I'm. I'm interested in. I'm curious if they choose to keep even Fluker and Sweezy. Um, do you guys wonder if there's a chance they're going to pick one veteran at the guard spot and whoever starts gets it, and whoever doesn't is is shown the door brian stop it i'm wondering stop it so like cut yeah they both look so okay hold up sweezy people well, finish that sentence they both look what sweezy hasn't stepped on the field dude i know <laughs> that's why i quickly backtracked in my uh -huh. head because i knew i would get crucified for that one <laughs> um no but i think i i like what we have what we have at right guard you know, DJ Fluker is cheap as hell. Sweezy is cheap, cheap as hell. They're not taking it up any major salary cap space or anything like that. Um, if one goes down, it, it's just an insurance policy. I, I really like who did the who did the cutups of um, Sweezy with the Bucks? Was it somebody from the Athletic? Was it Sam Gold or Ben Baldwin? I don't I don't remember who did was it. Was it Coleman? Maybe. I think I don't it was Sam Gold. Maybe Sam Gold. I think, yeah. I think Sam did too, yeah. And he looked so good in pass pro. He was like, this guy's a new player post Tom Cable. Interesting how that works, by the way. So it's like, yeah, I mean, based off of, you know, he, he had really an injury plague time with the, with the Bucks. So I think if he can be healthy, I think he will probably be the starter at right guard. Wow, that's a bold take. I mean, well, I'll be honest, I'd be... If he's healthy, I'd be shocked if Sweezy isn't the starter at right guard. Really? Yeah. You spent all offseason going off about how great DJ Fluker is. <laughs> and the dude that's practiced for like half a practice is suddenly going to take Fluker's job. Did you did you see Samuel Gold's breakdown of, of <laughs> AR Sweezy in Tampa? Oh, my gosh. It, it looked good. It looked it good. impressive. Yeah. Admit it, admit it, Nathan. You're optimistic about him. No, I agree. I, I think he probably should take DJ Fluker's job if he's healthy. I just uh, all right. So because again, um, cold water. So uh, first week, uh, first preseason game, 2017, Seahawks 48, Chargers 17. They didn't run too well. Davis had eight carries, 4.1 yards per carry. The rest of the backs didn't too, do too well. But the next week, they beat the Vikings. Uh, Vikings, a very good defense. Alex Collins rushed for 5.8 yards per carry. Mike Davis rushed for 6.2 yards per carry. Chris Carson, four and a half yards a carry. Against the Chiefs the next week, J.D. McKissick, seven carries for six and a half yards. Chris Carson, eight carries for 5.8 yards uh, a carry. And Eddie Lacy, four carries, 5.3 yards per carry. Yeah, the Seahawks were fourth in the NFL in rushing last year in the preseason. In the preseason. This is what they do. I, I feel like this is a common thing. So, to, to, But they did in 2015, like, they were one of the worst offenses in preseason and then were one of the one best. One of the worst offenses for about eight weeks of the season, too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> then became, you know, one of the best. Yeah. Um, Drew, Drew Nowak, the Drew Nowak era. Yeah. I, I, Brian, 
I, I got to attack you on this one. Can you explain your logic, your reasoning for that? Why, why is, you know, assuming there's no health issues, why would Fluker or Sweezy be cut? I just, are you not seeing the potential? Are you not seeing, I, I don't know. What are you saying? Yeah, I'm, I'm raising the question because they've done some really unexpected things. Um, so this is me trying to like anticipate them. This is not me saying, oh, yeah, this, we, not, this, is, not you saying, like, this is what they should do. Yeah. It, okay. They have, they treat veterans on this roster in a really odd way. We've seen this like where they don't tend to really keep a lot of veterans around. They prefer to keep young players. And if there's close to even, they'll keep, We'll keep the the younger player in a lot of those situations because um, they see that person is kind of growing and, and developing past where the the veteran is, and so if it meant, for example, that they had to put someone you know on the street in order to keep a veteran that was going to be a backup, there's a chance in my mind that that they would say, you know what, you know, we'd rather keep the young player around and we're going to let the veteran go, um, and especially. You know, Fluker, Fluker and Sweezy both have different injury questions. But if, you know, that's another factor, if, if they can't rely on this person to actually be available as well, um, that might play a role. I, I don't think it's likely, and I, I hope they're both, both around. But, um, you know, there are some rumors that I don't know how credible they are that they're also looking at at least trying out Richie Incognito. Um, and... Uh, he, Richie Incognito liked and retweeted a tweet from uh, someone on on Twitter about hoping that he was going to join the Seahawks. So, um, anyway, we'll see. Uh, I have similar questions about other veterans on the roster and other places that are probably more likely to be at risk. But yeah, I brought that one up. Okay, so that's that's a good way to transition into probably our best segment of tonight. Um. Brian, po- I don't know if you guys saw this, but Brian posted an article going through the entire roster, breaking the team down from uh, who's a lock to make it, who's a bubble to make it, who's a long shot, who needs to step up. He went all the way 1 to 90, and four of us talked throughout the week, and we kind of put together, I don't know if we all wrote 1 to 53 down, but we kind of went through, of, we're going to kind of go through this decisions that the Seahawks are going to have to make, and the right guard one's a good it's a good way to start. Uh, we all had our thoughts on that. And what Brian was saying before is in the Green Bay model that John Schneider learned scouting from, the way they look at backups is they look, they really they don't place a high emphasis on a veteran backup. The way they look at it is, would you rather have one year of a guy or f- three to four years of a younger player? And historically, that's what Ted Thompson did. John Schneider has done that here, where if they have a choice uh, in a backup role, and it happened with Jari Evans, unfortunately, probably their biggest mistake they've made here. They typically choose the younger guy because they can get more service time out of them. That's sort of the baseball terminology. A great example. Yeah. And they that's the way they've always viewed it because they always want to remain, especially now where they're kind of in a transition. We might see that a lot. So as we go through this roster now, that's something to think about. And they're kind of they, their goal, and John's mentioned this so many times, is to stay one of the younger teams in the league. Green Bay was always like that with Ted Thompson, and that's an area where you can keep young. And Seattle's kind of gone that way in so many occasions. Um, the right tackle a couple years ago when Britt was coming out, who was that guy? Um, he's the head of the players' union now. Oh, uh, Eric Winston. Eric Winston. He was a guy that probably should have made the team. They kept 
a younger guy who probably didn't turn out to be any good over him. Uh, Britt ended up playing right tackle all year. He wasn't very good at it, if we're being honest. Then there's been a couple examples of that. And when we get to wide receiver, and we're going to keep bringing this up. So I think we, we talked about right guard there. So we'll, we'll move to a different position. I think the most interesting position, if we're going to talk the 53, and I don't know if we want to go quarterback all the way down. Okay, well, we'll start with quarterback. We, we don't need to do much on that, right? I think it's pretty obvious. Actually, I'm here to tell you right now, our backup quarterback is not on the roster. Okay, well, I was – okay, I'm wrong. Wait, 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 wait. All right, yeah, who is it then? And, yeah. I, and I, I don't know who it is, but Austin Davis looked like hot garbage. That you look fine. <laughs> I don't know why everyone thinks this is crazy. Like, what did he do? Show me the play where he looked so awful. Uh, uh, the touchdown throw to Keenan Reynolds. That was Austin Davis. <laughs> no, that's what, that's what I'm talking about. No, no, I'm saying Magoo. Magoo looked okay. Oh, oh, I'm talking – we got mixed up. Miscommunication. <laughs> I was talking about Austin Davis. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. I'm just saying, like, who – like, if they're – like, Magoo looked okay. They don't need to go off the roster for that. I guess I'm not sold on him yet. Okay. I, I don't know who's out there. I mean, maybe they end up doing something and waiting for a cut down or something like that. Teddy Bridgewater? Yeah, actually. He might. Yeah, we'll see what ends up with his situation. What about the Jets? What's what their, about the Jets? Um, they, I thought, uh, I got to look it up. Um, yeah. So that, Bridgewater, that, right? They got, they got Teddy Bridgewater and they got Josh McCown. McCown's not going to get cut, right? No, no. He's the perfect backup quarterback. Right. Yeah, I haven't even looked at, at backups, but I, I do mean, somebody's going to pay Teddy, though. Like, somebody with a bigger quarterback need than Seattle is going to be willing to, to go after train. him a little bit. They might trade or, him. They even should trade him. Yeah. RG3. I, that sounds crazy, but, like, I like it. Seriously. He's looked good. So, yeah. all right, maybe I'm with you. Maybe maybe, uh, maybe that will be uh, some of the sun on the roster. I just I, – I don't think Austin Davis or Magoo have done enough either to win the backup job. Well, I mean, here's here's some some fuel to the fire. Uh, reports that the Seahawks brought in Josh Johnson uh, for a look. I mean – What was the most time that dude was in the league? Yeah, that's not a good sign in that uh, any of us want Josh Johnson on the roster, but – it is an indication that there's, you know, some eyes open about what they've got at the back of quarterback position and wanting to see what else might be out there. So it's possible. According to Pro Football Reference, and this gets Stacy when players like aren't regularly on a team, but Josh Johnson hasn't been in the league since 2014. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, if they're going to make a move at quarterback, I don't know about you guys, but I'd want them to make a trade for a quarterback um, sooner rather than later, maybe after the second game. If, if, they're, if, if neither backup looks capable of being a true backup this year, then, um, you know, that would be maybe the time to do it. I will say, though, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, the Seahawks went some years with Josh Portis as their only backup. Is that right? Am I right about that? No, I think they always yeah. had Tavares. They always have Tavares those times. I think Boykin was the switch out of oh, Boykin. Yeah, Boykin was the guy that I mean, that guy was not a viable quarterback. No, we would have been having the same discussion that two years ago. Right. Hmm. 
Yeah. Okay. All right. So maybe I was wrong about this being obvious. Okay. We're moving on. <laughs> okay. This is the next spot. And I guess on Brian's list would be running back. This becomes a very interesting one because, okay, well, we'll start with what Brian did. Locks on this team, Carson Penny. We don't need to spend any time on them. We've talked about Penny enough. We, we all know our thoughts on him. The next three guys, and I don't know how many guys did this exercise, but I really struggled on what to do with CJ Procise because you keep hearing these stories about how he's turned it around, the classic training camp story. And once again, he has this flaring injury before the game and he doesn't play and now he can't practice. I, I cut him when my 53 and I didn't expect to do that. I thought it'd be nuts to cut him. But when I went through the whole 25 guys on offense, I kept Davis over him. I kept McKissick and I kept Trey Madden at fullback. Can you guys see a situation where they keep five running backs and a fullback? Cause they cut Fowler off the roster that Khalid Hill is hurt. So it looks like Trey Madden, if there's a fullback is going to be the fullback. So they did do that to start last year. They mm-hmm. carried six guys, and one of them was a fullback. So it's not crazy. Like They could do the exact same thing they did last year, I think, except you have Penny instead of Lacey. Well, and I guess McKissick instead of Rawls. Uh, I don't know. Or Davis instead of Rawls, I think. So, But you, you can keep six guys if they want. And, I mean, we'll kind of get into this as we go through this, but, like, there are roster spots. There's There's wiggle room on this team. So, like... I I had five. I had Penny, Carson, Madden. Um, I think those are pretty solidly in. And then I think um, it's McKissick and Procise after that. But like, there are other worse players that I've had to consider keeping uh, going through this than Mike Davis. So, all right, just to jump in there for a second, um, Nathan, are you counting McKissick as a running back last year? Is that how you get to six? Uh, so last year was Carson, Lacey, Rawls. Um, Procise, Mike Davis. Pro-size. Oh, Davis did not make. No, it. McKissick made the team. Out of- oh, you're right. So, and so they kept Trey Madden and who else? I think they only kept five. Um, you uh, that's what I was wondering. They did keep McKissick, but he was they counted him essentially as a receiver. Um, oh, they did keep McKissick, and I, I counted him as a, a running back. You're right. You're right. Okay. So yeah. So and I mean I don't I. I I get it, like McKissick. Uh, he's a like a he's a weapon or whatever, but like he's a running back. Like he is for sure this year a running back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, that's an interesting point. So we got Davis and we have Procise. Let's go around here. Do you keep all three? Do you keep two of them? And if which two, which two? Or I know I don't think they're going to keep one of them. It's either keep all three or keep two. All right, we'll start with you, Evan. So the three were which players? Sorry, you Kizik, cut Davis, and Procise. I think you keep two, and uh, CJ Procise's presence fully depends on if he's healthy or not. This is a very simple question to me with CJ Procise. You know, we all remember the awakening with with C Mike a couple years ago, where all the coaches were hyping him up, and they're like. This is a new guy. He's going to be so good this year. Blah, blah, blah. This is very simple with CJ Procise. Is he healthy or is he not healthy? Very simple. Best ability is availability. Very simple to me. What does that have to mean in terms of availability in this case? Like 
he has to play the rest of the games. If he misses one game, plays two of the last three, what I mean, what what's your I, line? I need to see him in the next three preseason games. Every single one. So you're cutting CJ process. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I just it, it's if I, I'm not you know I'm not disputing that he's talented. I, I think he's super talented, but it's just so frustrating when he you know incurs the most minor injuries that take him out for weeks on end. And you know I'm not blaming him because I don't think he can control this to an extent. But it's, it, I think it just is what it is, unfortunately. Okay, how about you? How about you, Brian? Uh, actually, I think Evans. I'm mostly aligned with Evan there. I mean, first of all, I only keep two for sure. Um, I probably have a little bit lighter and like a easier of a line for Procise to to meet a threshold for him to meet. Um, you know, I really do think he needs to play this week. I think that matters. I think if he can play two out of the last three games, um, I guess I see Mike Davis as a guy. Like I like Mike Davis. I enjoy watching him. He was a street free agent last year that nobody was interested in. He was a street free agent the year before that that nobody was interested in. I think you can cut him and put him on your practice squad, or even if he's not eligible, I think you can get someone like him. So I don't feel this need to carve out a roster spot for Mike Davis. Um, I don't think Mike Davis is going to become the next Alex Collins. If CJ Procise, you know, is able to stay healthy, he could very well be Alex Collins or more. Um, if, if he's able to play. So I'm fine keeping around a player that, that shows enough. He has to actually play um, and, and having him as a backup, you know, like uh, I have no problems with that. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's move on now and we'll, we'll let Nathan start on the next one. I think the most interesting debate going through this exercise on offense was the wide receiver group. Historically, they've kept mostly between five and six. It was five last year. And as Brian pointed out in his article, the fourth and fifth receiver were basically non-factors all year. It was what, Darbo and... Matt uh, Yeah, your favorite. Yeah, so the, the receiver group that we've debated a ton going into camp and early in camp, it's got some interesting names. Guys have emerged a little bit. Guys have fallen back. So, Nathan, you're more of a believer in the past game. You're basically the anti-Brian Schoenheimer. How many, how many receivers do you think they should keep and which guys? So, I had six. And it was really – I mean, there's a couple things here. So, um, like you said, they kept five the last two years. Um, Shadi's going to run a lot of two-wide set. We already saw that, right? A lot of I-form and stuff. Um and he's also going to involve the tight ends and running backs more. Um, so they really don't need to keep more than five, even though I think five is, is cutting it pretty thin. But there's just, again, like there's roster spots where you get down to the last, you know, three, four spots, and you're just like, who am I giving this to? And so I went I went with David Moore for that, that six spot. Um, my list is Doug, Tyler. I've got Jaron Brown. Um, and then I went Stringfellow and Brandon Marshall. Um, Marshall's another guy that like very easily could not make this team. He has not played yet in a preseason game, I don't think. Did he play? He did. He did play. Okay, well, he didn't do anything. No. <laughs> um, now, he's attached at the hip to Russ, and so I'm kind of thinking that he makes it. But 
you know, he's shown less than Terrell Owens showed and Terrell Owens got cut, right? Different team, but, and then I just went with talent on David Moore um, because this team needs talent. What about you, Evan? What's the magic number receiver and who are the guys? I'm tempted to go six with Doug Baldwin's uncertainty with that injury. I know there's a lot of optimism about week one. Um, I'm still a little nervous about that, though. Um, but I'm leaning five. So Doug Baldwin's a lock. Tyler Lockett's a lot, uh, a lock. Uh, Jerron Brown, Jaron Brown, whatever his name is, uh, is a lock. I think Brandon Marshall is an absolute lock. He's been running with the ones all training camp. I just it, wh- why would he be running with the ones if, if he wasn't a lock in my mind? And then uh, the fifth receiver for me is David Moore. Uh, we haven't seen anything from Darbo, and he's really the, you know, really the um, controversial pick to cut, but we just haven't seen anything from him. And the only reason you'd be keeping him, you know, to win that fifth receiver spot is his draft uh, value where you selected him. I think it was a third round. Um, I'm just, I'm not about that anymore. Um, I, we need players who can contribute. David Moore had a really sweet catch along the sidelines and, uh, I, I think he has a lot of potential. So those are my five receivers. Okay. Okay. Brian, you, you brought up an interesting point. Uh, we were talking on Twitter a little yesterday also about how the bottom of their roster receivers typically go to special teams players. Mm-hmm. And Marcus Johnson's a guy you've kind of made the case for. In one area, and he's a guy that none of us have mentioned yet. I don't know how much you've seen from him in camp. He buzzed a lot early in camp, didn't show up at all in the game. I know it's only been one game. Darbo, you were kind of ahead of the curve on last year as a guy who pretty much contributed nothing. Really, he shouldn't have made the team last year. Yeah. And I don't see how he makes the team this year based on everything we're hearing, everything you're seeing. So there's also string fellow guy Nathan mentioned, Keenan Reynolds who you were high on early in camp. Are we missing anyone? Who who do you think are those five guys? No, I mean, I think I've got – right now I've got Johnson ahead of Moore, um, not because I think he's a better receiver than Moore, but because – two reasons. One, I think he's been a proven special teams player in the league for Philadelphia. And um, I don't know if you guys heard – if you've heard him interviewed and, and, and the conversations with uh, – Howie Roseman about it, but like Howie Roseman was like, dude, we just traded you for a pro bowler. They wanted you like for a pro bowler and Michael Bennett in return. And the Seahawks Snyder literally went after Marcus Johnson for some reason. Um, and the, the Eagles saw him as a, a rising young player in their system. Um, and he played really, he's played really well in camp. I mean, he's, he's done fine. Um, I don't think he's, top notch, but, uh, you know, I, I think he's a very legitimate, um, contender for a roster spot. I have him keeping six. So it ends up being both Moore and Johnson. And, and to me, it's, it's string fellow. That's, that's kind of the question mark. Reynolds to me has faded quite a bit. Um, you know, so I, I'm not sure he's going to really be in competition, but that could change, um, over the next few, few days. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. I also had six, um, one of my bigger debates, and maybe we can mock this out towards the end of the preseason when we go through that final 53, is one of the things when you're making a team is you have all the position coaches in the room, and they're all fighting for that extra guy. So in this situation, it could be the running back coach fighting with the receiver coach to see who gets that extra body. 
And when I did that in my head, I ended up going David Moore and Marcus Johnson over the running back. And I don't know if that fits in what Schonheimer does and the scheme, but I just thought there was too much talent to let go. And you'd mentioned five running backs was enough for me, including the fullback. And I, I'm with Evan. I think Brandon Marshall has moved from a guy I didn't think had a chance to make the team coming into the preseason. He just seemed like a camp body, a guy that they've like the the TO is a great example. And the way the coaches talk about him, and maybe I'm buying into too much crap, but it seems like these guys love him. And if you follow him on Instagram at all or any of that, he's he's really fit in nicely with Russ and he's really fit in nicely with the team. And today I know I know Schonheimer had an interview with Bob Condota and he was raving about Marshall kind of the stuff he's teaching the Trey Flowers and the stuff he's teaching the younger receivers. So I moved him into the lock group. I might be completely wrong about that one, but that's how I view it. So I guess to me, tight end is the next position. That's a lot like quarterback. It's pretty simple. The one question, who, if he's not ready to play, is that, is that a PUP situation, Brian, or do you think that – well, he's he is, on top, right? He's eligible, isn't, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. Um, I don't no, no, he's not. He's not. You you have to start training camp on pup. Okay, so he's and not he a PP. He did not. I, I couldn't remember that. Mm, okay, that's a good question. I, yeah, I don't think he's practiced yet. I just don't know if he started. I, I thought he started on pup, but but I might be wrong. Um, yeah, so to me, uh, he's on the NFI list. Yeah. That's interesting. So other than that kind of roster designation, it seems pretty obvious what's happening there. Disley and Vanette are going to play the majority of snaps in preseason. Those guys look like pretty decent players. And if Dixon isn't ready to start the season, it's probably Tyrone Swoops, who's the third tight end. We made a couple nice blocks in the game. And then other than that, there's not much there. It's a bunch of camp bodies. You probably have no shot at making any 90-man roster. So I don't want to spend too much time on that. Agreed. The next question is is the interesting one, and we, we had Swe- the Sweezy debate before. I think the five guys on the offensive line that we've seen as the starting pretty much guys in camp, they're all locks, right? Even though all of us would probably like to find a spot for a Fetty on another team, I assume the top five guys are all locks. So the question now is, who are the backups? Is it nine guys? Is it ten guys? And if so, I have no idea because there are so many different ways you can go about this, especially with the Jamarco Jones factor. How do you structure this backup group? There's so many. I got to break in for a second. Uh, yeah. Bob just broke some news. And maybe you guys already knew this, that Rashad Penny suffered a hand injury that includes a broken finger. Oh, that was today? It just came out. Wow. Okay, so I want to see if I can read this first. Oh, my God. Yeah. Interesting. Um, Doesn't necessarily, you know, broken fingers are not big deals for running backs. Um, Still got to catch the ball, though. But it sounds like he's going to miss some time. Um, Yeah. That's a bummer. (laughs) That changes a lot. Yeah. It seems like... I mean, isn't that something where he could be ready for week two? No, he should be ready for week one on that injury. So so I'm not worried about it, like, impacting the regular season. No, probably not. I mean, it depends on if it's which hand it is. Um, You know, he's got to be able to secure the football, right? Yeah. Um, That's a big deal, so... 
Yeah, it depends on the severity of the hand injury, but it's one to watch, and that certainly would have an impact on guys like Procise and uh, and Davis. So, well, Bob, yeah. thank you for ruining our debate. I just, just <laughs> wanted to uh, add a little bit in there that everybody gets injured, folks. Yeah, uh, the broken finger is a little better than if you had a broken hand. So catching the ball, as Nathan said, is probably the biggest concern there. Yeah. Well, the interesting way that he phrased it, Condota says, suffered a hand injury that includes a broken finger. So oh, it might be more okay. to it than just a broken finger. I just have to go see Mike. Only in one hand. Can't switch. <laughs> uh, okay, offensive line, though. So I think yeah. I think there's six just, like, clear answers. The starting five that we saw, and then fanned. I, I think fans in uh, – I, I don't – no, there's an argument over that, but I would consider him a lock. I mean, and then for me, I went 10, and uh, my other ones were Battle, Roos. What, what was the... Battle's okay, right? He just had a... Yeah, he's a, fine. Yeah, yeah, he's he's got his brain knee, he should be back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Battle, Roos... Oh, we lost him. Uh, Beaver's out, Henry out, Hunt out, uh, Phillips out, and then Sweezy. But again, this is a health thing, right? Like, is Jamarco Jones going to end up on IR? Do they so? Do they keep somebody extra? Or do they try to like, if he is going to be out for a long period of time, do they try to like wave him and get him onto their IR right now? Um, and, and if anything like that happens, then you know you can see Sweetie jumping in and taking that spot. Um, also, like I said, Odiambo looked awful, um, so he could just outright lose his job to Sweezy if. Sweezy can get back, but Sweezy has to get back out on the field. Otherwise, there's they just can't keep him, right? So um, that's where I ended up on about 10 guys. Uh, what a, did you have Jones in there? I couldn't, I couldn't remember. Yeah, I do. I just it's, it's a big wild card with what they end up deciding to do with him, whether they want to try to carry him through or what. I would try and carry him. Honestly, if he if he can come back midway through the season, um, I, but I absolutely agree with you. I, I'm not sure Reese makes this roster at all. The the thing that helps him is like it's uh, Roos is uh, a guard, and then not a lot of other guards on the team. So again, maybe Sweezy gets healthy, and then you have Sweezy, and then you're totally fine, and then you can just cut Odiambo. But like if Sweezy can't get right, then you're running with three guards plus some flexibility with the Fetty and stuff. So yeah, Skylar Phillips is a guy to at least watch there. He had a pretty bad preseason game, but I have liked what I've seen in practice from him. He's a, he's a young guard and um, has actually swung to tackle at times. The question for me and why I think Odiambo is in trouble is backup center. Um, you know, I don't know that they want Ethan Posick to be their backup center um, because that means that in a game, they're going to have to switch out and shift two players Posey would have to move over from guard to center, and then they'll bring in another player to play guard. So that's why guys like Joey Hunt end up sticking around. Um, and at least that's a specific role where Odiambo is just, you know, he's just depth. So I do think Odiambo is really at risk. They did not keep a backup center starting 2017 last year. So they they, they did go that way last year. I, think, I mean, obviously they ended up bringing Hunt back, and he's involved again, but... They did just go with uh, Britt last year. Mm-hmm. I thought I had Reese Odiambo not making the team as some like surprise of this exercise, and apparently all <laughs> of you did that. So that that ruins all the fun for me. I, I yeah, I had Bruce 
beating him out. Roos can play left guard in a pinch. If you have Roos and Sweezy as your backup guards, that's pretty that's that's serviceable. It's not ideal, but you got Fan as the backup tackle. I also had battle, mostly because Jamarco Jones can't play right now. And yeah, I think that's the biggest battle right now. Well, the left, the guard the backup guard situation. I think Fan is your backup left tackle. Do you carry Isaiah Battle? Do you need a backup right tackle, or can Fant go both ways? He's been practicing both ways, right? Yeah, not yet, but I think he's he's they're they're working him towards that. I think they definitely have said that they want him to get to the right tackle side as well. Yeah, I mean, to me, the real question is, is Jones and what they do there because if they decide to carry him, it's clear he's not going to be ready for Week One. I mean, it, it seems like it would be a huge shock if if that. I mean, I'm I'm thinking that earliest would be maybe mid-season or or you know six games in and if they believe he can come back then great but they have to carry him on the week one roster in order to put him on the type of ir that allows them to bring him back later in the season if they put him on the ir now he's out for the year and he can't come back no matter what so if they do that they're basically taking a big gamble because it's a rookie you know he's not going to get to practice or be part of the development process and then might not even be able to make it back. So I have this concern that they're just going to put him on IR and say, call a red shirt year. And, you know, so I, I, here, I've got a question. I've never gotten a clear understanding of this. Do, can you put a player directly onto IR in training camp? You can, but it's a specific, the, that is not a, the IR that is eligible to return during the season. Okay. So when they've done the thing where they've waived a player and then they revert back to the team's IR, it, they're then eligible to come off that at some point later in the year. Is that how that works? Not, not, uh, my understanding is that that is, if it's done in preseason, that's not the case, um, that they actually have to be on the week one roster or on the regular season roster before that. Um, so why do they waive players then and then revert them back to their IR? What is that whole process? I don't understand it. So it's like stashing people uh, around, like the, the the cornerback they got from Detroit a few years ago that never ended up playing. Cisse. Yeah, Cisse. Like they mm-hmm. like him, they wanted him around. Um, so they're but when do, you, when do you have to waive versus when can you put them directly on the IR? Yeah, that's a good question. Oh, that's I see what you're saying. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I know. believe I believe you have you can waive someone with an injury designation, and it gives the league. I think if it's a, a, a not a veteran with, it has to be someone like with a certain amount of service time. Gotcha. And if you waive them with an injury designation, the rest of the league gets a shot to claim them. If they go unclaimed, they revert directly to your team's injury reserve that cannot come up. They have okay. to be there for the rest of the year. So it's a service time of yeah. service time. I, I don't believe Jamarco Jones. If they waived him, they would not waive him. They would stash him right on the IR. Yeah. So waving clears a roster spot. That's the difference. Putting them on IR, they go directly on IR. Wave them gives them an opportunity to get picked up with another team in the league. So just to clarify, they recently changed the rules a couple of years ago, and I'm just reading about this. Last, so last year, two years ago, the NFL changed the IR with return designation so that you no longer have to designate the player who will get designated at the time they are placed on the list. Now teams can bring back any two players they've placed on IR at any time after the eight-week mandate, um, yeah, they've they've messed with the rules so much recently to make it even more confusing. <laughs> yeah, it is super complex, but anyway, I, I think it's going to be an interesting thing to see what they do with Jones. I, I hope I hope that we get news that they're going to 
keep him or that, that you know, that, that they're going to like, I think he's a potentially really meaningful part of their future and on that line. And uh, it was a super big bummer that he went down. It was good news that it wasn't a break, but um, you know, them's the breaks. So, uh, all right. What's next on our uh, roster run through Jeff? Okay. We've gone through mo- the entire offense. To me, other than wide receiver, the most interesting group this team's going to have, and it's the biggest question surrounding this team, is the defensive line. There's so many different ways you can go with this one. They've ha- At some points in the past, they've had seven guys. They can go anywhere up to ten guys. There's a lot of interesting names here, whether it's the defensive tackle group, the ends, or even you can stash some guys at the linebacker position with Mingo and Martin. So let's just stick with – we'll start with the, 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 the group at defensive end and defensive tackle. Okay, Brian, you've played with the numbers. What did you have? Um, well, it's, it is a tough one in that uh, defensive tackle, they typically – I mean, last year they broke camp with three defensive tackles. And um, I don't see any way that you leave camp without four this year. And that's typically what they've done. They've, they've, had, they've had four and four, four interior, four edge. Sometimes they'll go five and three um, on edge to, to interior. But – I mean, look, Jaron Reed's a lock. We know that. Are they going to cut Naz Jones? No. I don't know. He's, so. he's a lock. Uh, you know, Shamar Steven is young and relatively inexpensive, uh, and they see him as a rotational guy on, on the interior. Tom Johnson, Nathan's brought up, and, and maybe go we'll go in there about maybe he's at risk, but he's been there starting three-tech, and Pete's been raving about him. I, I think he – he plays a pretty important role for, for that team, especially from a pressure perspective. Um, you're not going to get much pressure from a guy like Shamar Steven. And then Quentin Jefferson has typically been an interior guy. has been playing pretty well. So you're not going to keep five, um, although they've started to play Jefferson on the edge um, in practice. So I don't know. That, that's where I have the biggest questions. I can't see them get cutting Brandon Jackson on the edge. Uh, he's been one of their starters and actually is – applied some decent pressure. So I end up with eight players, uh, Frank Clark, Jaron Reed, Rasheem Green, Naz Jones, Shabar Steven, Tom Johnson, and then um, uh, Quentin Jefferson and Brandon Jackson. That means Marcus Smith doesn't make it. means Puna Ford doesn't make it. And a guy that I thought played pretty damn well on Thursday, not just his touchdown, but I thought Joey Ivey, like, Maybe just because I didn't know him, but I thought he was an interesting player. Um, I'm kind of curious to see what happens with him going forward. Yeah, he's a guy that probably isn't on anyone's 53-man projection, but he jumped out for sure. You mentioned it with Nathan. Nathan had a tweet this week that jumped off the screen to me. I was interested. When he, he said, are we sure Tom Johnson's making this team? And It was interesting because if you looked at the film, he didn't do anything to stand out. At least that was what I thought, but... Pete's been raving about him all summer. Keeps mentioning the same thing about him, but he's raved about lots of people in the past. Nathan, what what were your thoughts there? Yeah, he just looked really underwhelming. Like, um, and there's a lot more to being a three tech than just rushing the passer. But it, that's kind of his calling card, and I didn't see anything there that made me think, "Oh, this guy has to have a, a roster spot." Um, especially considering the age and the depth of this position like i ended up carrying 10 guys which is uh well over what they usually do 
Um, and that was because I couldn't find like more than four linebackers that I wanted to keep. And so I'm going to squint at Marcus Smith and Jacob Martin and say that they're kind of uh, a Sam too. And they're going to kind of play both, you know, uh, maybe you have a little flexibility there, but um, yeah, like you're not cutting Quentin Jefferson with the way he played um, what we saw. I agree that Brandon Jackson looked good. So I have him in, um, but like, 10 is a lot here. Like they, they usually carry about eight. So I, I don't know. This, this was a tough one for me, mostly because there's a lot here and then trying to make up for some other spots where I thought they were pretty weak. It's interesting. You said, cause I had, I had 10 too. And I thought that was probably the dumbest thing I did in my roster projection. I don't know if it'll necessarily happen, but I kept the same eight Brian did plus Marcus Smith and Puna Ford. So that's five defensive tackles and five ends. I don't know if they'll end up doing that, but as Nathan said, there's roster spots available, and I couldn't think of guys to get rid of. Ford's a guy who might not slip through the practice squad, and I'd rather keep him and maybe get rid of a linebacker or a cornerback. But 10 a lot. But if this group's going to generate a pass rush, we're going to need a rotation, and you're going to need a number of bodies. So we'll see if we're off right now, but – Evan, are you, are you closer to Brian or closer to me and Nathan? I'm actually closer to Nathan. Um, I would go with five linebackers. Uh, Bobby Wagner, KJ Wright, Mingo, Griffin, and Jacob Martin. And then I would take nine defensive linemen. I'd go Frank Clark, Jaron Reed, Green, Naz Jones, Shamar Steven, Tom Johnson. And then my final three would be Brandon Jackson, Marcus Smith and Puna Ford. I think those three extra guys give you the most potential in that group. And I'm just, I'm just not sold on Quentin Jefferson yet. Um, he struggled with a lot of injuries throughout his career. And who hyped him up the other day on the radio? Maybe it was, maybe it was Cliff Averill. Um, but I, I think those three extra guys give you the most potential in that group. I really don't want to c- cut Brandon Jackson just because what we saw from his pass rush in preseason game one. And I'm excited about Marcus Smith still. And then I'm really excited about Puna. So I hope he makes the roster. Yeah. I think that group is going to change every week. If we did this every, every preseason game where might have completely different views or every training camp week, that's going to be. Yeah. I will say that I, I have, been influenced heavily by every season when I'm projecting the 53. I'm always thinking they're going to keep extra defensive linemen. Like I always am looking at nine or ten, and they break camp with seven. You know, and if you look at their, you know, since since 2010, their average defensive line keep is 8.3. So, and, and that is the reason it's even over eight is because 2013 they kept like 13. They kept like some insane number, and 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 that included cutting Jay Howard. You know, um, so like they were so stacked on the defensive line that year. Um, typically, they they they're eight or less. So I don't know if I see them doing ten. I, I had the same thing because last year I did this, and I ended up way short on linebackers and maybe safeties too. I don't remember. Um, like, but those two spots, like, I I, I don't know. <laughs> You can't force me to keep more than five linebackers. Like I won't do it. I refuse. <laughs> I quit. I, 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 you, I'll go. You know, there's four: w- Wagner, Wright, Mingo, Griffin. Okay. You want me to keep five? I'll, I'll take DJ Alexander because you're asking me to take five. 
I I don't want Austin Kleitra on this team. I don't know who Jason Hall is. Are you counting Martin as a defensive lineman or as a linebacker? So I counted him as a defensive lineman because he is a defensive lineman, just like maybe they call J.D. McKissick a wide receiver, but that, that ain't what he is. Um, but that's how I justified keeping the 10th guy, is that they want Martin to do some other stuff. He lined up as a linebacker, or as a defensive end, like almost all game. I think that was, I think that was a little bit um, misleading, and, and here's why. So... Uh, the net of it is you you and I and maybe uh, Jeff aren't as far apart. Um, I had Martin as a linebacker, and so I had him keeping six linebackers and eight linemen. So it's, it's similar. Yeah. But um, uh, Martin has been running exclusively with the linebackers during camp and practice um, and playing Sam um, almost exclusively during camp. And uh, it's clear that they needed to see what he can do from a pass rush perspective. And so they were putting him in there. Similarly, the way they were playing Barkevius Mingo at, at end to see what he could do there. And they really see their Sam backers like they saw Bruce Irvin as someone who can switch between rush end and, um, you know, that Sam backer spot. So whatever we call him, I think we all see him making the roster. That's really what yeah. matters. Um, and so... Uh, I, I do think he has some some potential at Sam Backer, um, you know. So so unlike Marcus Smith, who when they tried to play him at Sam Backer last year, he looked like a fish out of water. I think Martin actually has the physical skills to, to potentially play a little bit more um, off the line. Martin was the guy that got steamrolled on that touchdown, though, right? I don't know. I, I believe it was Martin that he got just blasted and, and the guy went right into the end zone. Which Oh, I, I don't know if I'd call that – you're being a little harsh on that one. Like he, they, they met and the guy had a lot of, momentum. he met and the offensive player kept going forward and he didn't like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know. I would, like, I would, I would ba- base my assessment on his ability. Uh, uh, sure. Sure. But uh, ultimately we're not great. Right. They had to like try to chase down the guy when he's playing <laughs> Sam. So I don't know. Okay. I think we all would hope that Jacob Martin's not a staple in their base goal line defense at any point this year. Yeah. I would hope so, but I guess the one debate there is DJ Alexander. If yeah. he's was hyped up as a special teams guru, he would project, I guess, as the backup middle linebacker for Bobby Wagner, unless he has shift. I don't think Calitro's in the mix yet. Maybe I'm wrong about him. I thought he that was the one, yeah. So the one debate is: Do they had have to have a guy as that backup inside, or does KJ just shift over? And then you keep the four linebackers and you have the guys as the outside linebackers. Because when DJ Alexander had to play inside linebacker when Bobby went down, I think it was that Jacksonville game. He looked pretty terrible. He's so bad. But they don't like to move KJ. Like, they could have done that. Yeah. And they chose to put him out there. So I, I don't really agree with it, but they seem to want that backup middle linebacker to leave KJ where he is. But if it was, it was an extended absence, that might be a different answer, right? Like, I don't know. I mean... Bobby's asked to do a lot more. Um, not that DJ Alexander is any kind of amazing athlete or anything, but that's definitely playing to KJ's weak spots. And so, like, leaving KJ where he's very, very good, I, I kind of get it. Yeah. And we all remember KJ's first start um, of his career was, was at middle linebacker um, against the San Francisco 49ers. But, um, yeah, I, I think I think Shaquem Griffin changes the 
the equation a little bit because I think they actually have a, a reasonable, um, you know, higher potential guy that could be coming out as a backup will. Um, I, I just didn't see DJ Alexander impacting special teams the way I was really hoping he would last year. I thought, I, I can't really remember a play he made that stood out to me. And special teams players should pretty much stand out. Like you notice them um, on those plays. So I think he's a little bit at risk. And if he doesn't make it, then maybe you are looking at someone like Austin Calitro having a chance. But the guy that I would, I would call out um, scored really well on special teams, um, both from what I saw as well. PFF had him as uh, Pro Football Focus had him really highly rated with Emmanuel Beal, um, undrafted rookie, athletic linebacker. Um, He's another guy to watch on the inside that we'll see how, how that plays out the last few weeks of the preseason. Yeah, that's it's an interesting name no one's brought up yet. So moving on, that, that's the linebacker group. Evan hasn't contributed in a while, so we'll let Evan start this section. Another interesting group that we, we talked about earlier in the show with Flowers in the first segment is cornerback. Historically, they've bounced between five and six corners. Maxwell's been banged up. Dante Johnson's just starting to get into the th- swing of things. Obviously, Shaq Griffin's making this team. Nico Thorpe is banged up, and the bottom of their roster is that they've always valued special teams. If they need to save money in a way, Thorpe's a guy you can get rid of to save some money at the bottom of your roster. And then Akeem King, Evan mentioned earlier. So is Akeem King on your roster? And how do you break down this five or six guys, and who are they? I think I take six players, and those six players are Shaq Griffin, Justin Coleman, Trey Flowers, obviously. I think Maxwell's making this team. I think he might even be the starter at the beginning of the season. Actually, I would expect that. I think Akeem King is a guy to watch up and coming. I think he played super well um, in uh, preseason game one. He's a guy I will definitely be watching in preseason game two. And I do actually think that Nico Thorpe makes this roster over Dante Johnson, Brian's favorite cornerback on the roster. <laughs> I have a question for you, Evan, though. Um, as I was going through the roster, there was definitely places they could have saved some money. Tom Johnson, Shamar Steven, uh, you know, and some of these other veterans. Do they need to? Like, is there is there a value in them saving money this year where you think that's a factor? I really don't think it's a factor. Right now, we're dealing with a lot of cap space. They're, like, I think sitting around 10, 11, 12 million right now. Next year, we're talking 60-plus million. Um, they're not pinching pennies. They're really not. Uh, this could look different after a Frank Clark extension or a Tyler Lockett extension, but I, it, so, it sounds like they might wait till the end of the season to make those two happen. Um, but to answer your question, they don't need to penny pinch right now. Because Nico Thorpe is a big impact player on special teams, and yeah. there's a big cap savings for him to go. I don't think he's a great cornerback, but that was that was one of my questions. Is it's like, like one or two million they saved by cutting him. I, I really don't see the benefits outweighing the you know. I, I just I don't see that situation happening. Jeff, did we lose you? He's like frozen in time. Nathan, yeah, he's frozen. Yeah, so so Nathan, let's go cornerback and safety. Uh, run run through your keep on cornerback and safety. So uh, Griffin Coleman, Maxwell, I think um, Thorpe, I've got in there. Flowers, I think, is in there. And then I kept both King and Johnson because, again, just like linebacker, these safeties, uh, I don't know what to do with them. I mean, you've got McDougald, Hill, Tedrick Thompson. Uh, Mo Alexander probably makes the team, but I think he's still hurt. I don't know if he's back out there yet. Um, 
And then after that is TJ Mutcherson and Lorenzo Jerome. Like, I, I don't think those are guys that make this team. Maybe I'm missing something with Mutcherson or Jerome and what they can do special teams-wise, but I went with an extra cornerback because I couldn't bring myself to keep a, a fifth safety. Yeah, so you've got four safeties, six corners? Four safeties, seven corners. Seven corners. Whoa. It's a lot of corners. It's too many corners. Uh... There's some uh, kind that's of like what I did. shape joke to make here, but I'm not as good enough with geometry to do that. So, um, like, so so wait, I need to know the seven again. Griffin, Coleman, Flowers, Maxwell. Oh, you know what I did? I kept 52 offensive and defensive players, and not. <laughs> so, uh, I, I'm gonna take. I, I've heard a lot of stuff between King and and Johnson. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go I'm gonna take your word for it, Brian, and I'm gonna put uh, King over Johnson. Or I'm sorry, vice versa, other way around. Johnson over King. Interesting. Yeah, and and the 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 piece here is like I'm really interested in Johnson. I need to see him on the field and and see what he looks like with Seattle. Um, to to really like right now, I have King over over Johnson. He hasn't been on the field. You know, we'll, we'll see what happens there. Um, after this game, assuming he plays, you know, Johnson may be off the roster from my perspective. So we'll see right now. I have, I have him making it. Um, I have him making it over Nico Thorpe mainly because I don't think Nico Thorpe's a very good corner. I think he's an excellent special teams player, but, um, I actually disagree yeah. there. I, I always thought he looked passable when he was put out there not a guy that i saw a lot of upside from but not a guy that looked like he was embarrassing himself out there either no that, that he's not a dj alexander right like he, right. he definitely he is capable of playing the corner spot but not well I, I don't think he's like i don't like you saw him come into the falcons playoff game a couple years ago and it was ugly like i mean everybody was kind of ugly in that game but uh I, I don't know. So we'll see. I would, I mean, I'd love to have Thorpe around because I, I like what he does on special teams. I have them only keeping four safeties. I, I don't know how you keep another one. Um, I'm, I'm with you on that one, Nathan. So I've got six corners, four safeties. Um, overall, I have him keeping 24 on defense. And, and actually, wait, is that right? I think I have him keeping 24 on defense and 26 on offense, which is what they did last year as well. Um, and then, you know, the the last one I'd throw out there is Michael Dixon, Janikowski, Tyler Ott. I think those are locks. I'm curious if you guys see anything differently there. Nope. Interesting. So, you know, it, it seems like it seems like the places where there were any real question, like defensive line, wide receiver, um, a little bit on running back, although I, I don't think it was that controversial there. Um, so offensive line, defensive line, receiver, those seem like the most controversial ones, um, in terms of what's going to happen there. I'm so curious to to see what they do with Amara Darbo. I mean, I know we've talked about it a million times, but it'll be really interesting to look back on this receiver room in about three to four weeks. Have you guys, can you guys remember a third round pick, um, that has been so quiet? Uh, I'm actually going to pull up the Seahawks draft history really quick, but David Green. I mean, couldn't you say Nick Vanette? No, not not Darbo level quiet. Like I mean, Darbo like 
It's good. So last year's third round picks were Shaquille Griffin, Delano Hill, Nazir Jones, and Amara Darbo. You know, Hill uh, Hill's done more in the preseason, but not a lot less quiet than Darbo. If we're being, I love the guy, but like you know, he just hasn't really shown up. I mean, like, look at CJ the year before CJ Prosize, Nick Bennett, Riso Diombo. I mean, I'm not saying whether they're good or not. That's a different question. Mm-hmm. But, like, Darbo has done nothing. I mean, nothing. I guess Darbo had eight catches last year. It's, it's really, though, I mean, like, who's been quieter, Hill or Darbo? You're, I think, I think, uh, Darbo. I mean, Hill has more hype, but what has he actually done? Like, he didn't catch, he didn't do the equivalent of catching eight balls last year, did he? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think he's playing behind two Hall of Fame players. It's a really sure, different it's a totally different deal. Yeah, totally different situation. And and yeah. he's a stand like he he really, from my perspective, I think he even was a, a decent player in his past preseason game. I think his past, last preseason game was better than any preseason game Darvo's had, and he's had more than one of those. So to me, that that that's a standout. Um, you know, year before, 2016, is uh, third round, oh, sorry, 2015, Tyler Lockett was the third round pick. For that, Jordan Hill, for that, Russell Wilson is a pretty good third round pick. John Moffitt back in 2011 didn't Unfortunately, work not quiet enough. But we could all do with John Moffitt being a lot quieter. True, it's true. Like, those are the those are the third round picks in the Pete Carroll. I don't think I've ever seen one that that has been. You know, I, I don't know. I, I think he's I think he's like the ninth or tenth receiver right now on the depth chart. So he is not good. Uh, and you know what's kind of, I mean like it's not that big of a surprise either. Like he's kind of athletic and. You know, he's got, like, he definitely looks the part in terms of build and all that, but it's not like he was amazing at Michigan, and there's a lot of caveats to go with that. But, like, is anyone surprised that Darbo has just completely, like, been non-existent and ghosted? I don't think so. They brought him in because they thought his route running would transfer well. And... You're right. And the, the thing they, they talked about when they had those great drafts was unique qualities. What are his unique qualities? He's not that fast. He's not that athletic. It's not smooth. He doesn't have great hands, it seems like. I haven't seen any unique qualities. Yeah, I really am going back all the way to David Green. That's the last thing I was <laughs> like in 2005. <laughs> I, I mean, it, it, it's even like Wayne Hunter in 2003, like, he started a fair number. He started a game or so. Um, anyway, 2002 third round pick, Chris Richard. Anyway, <laughs> so I could go on. Uh, yeah, Evan, I think that's a good call. I'm definitely curious to see. And, and Darbo did have one training camp practice where he was the player of the day. Like he And I talked about it and wrote about it because it stood out. Um, I hope he does. I hope he like pops, and all of a sudden he's just like everything that you'd hope a third round pick would be. But right now he's got a huge hill to climb. All right, guys. I, I think uh, it's it's Evan's bedtime here, um, and uh, we've we've gone a little longer than normal. So, so thanks everybody that's that's stuck around. 
Um, I do want to uh, mention for folks that we are going to do something. We, we had our, our live show last week during the game. Um, not everybody can make it on the, the, the team to, to, to do it this week. I'm going to host the show, um, and I'm going to allow um, – I think it's going to be up to nine patrons unless anyone else on the show ends up joining, but uh, nine patrons to join the hangout with me live and we'll talk about the game. We'll watch the game together. Um, I will try to do a little bit more play by play because I heard that it was hard to time up your, your TVs without knowing exactly where we were with the game. So, uh, you know, call that out, um, hang out. Um, if you're not already a patron, uh, go to patreon.com P A T R E O N.com slash Hawk blogger, sign up there. And, uh, Let's hang out. Um, should be fun this this Saturday. Looking forward to it, guys. All right. Uh, with that, I'm gonna say goodnight and uh, go Hawks, everybody.